Hi, thanks for joining us for Indestructible, the podcast connected to the Proteus Theatre show. I'm Mary Swan, Artistic Director of Proteus, and my guests for this edition are Mary Rose, actor playing Catherine Shaw in the show Indestructible, Saul Jaffe, who's dramaturg for the show, and Paul Huntley-Thomas, who's playing Robin and other roles in the show. All three are joining me today to ask the question, can we ever truly separate the art from the artist? And do we have to? We'll chat about the complexities of this issue and ask when we can still enjoy an artist's work despite their behaviour and when we have to reject it. Some of the themes in Indestructible relate to this conversation. We'll try and avoid any spoilers if you haven't seen the show yet. But this relates to a lot of the conversations we were having when we were making the show and devising the show in the first place. So, hello, welcome along. Thank you. (laughs) My first question really is, who's been the most disappointing to discover they were problematic? So there's some people that you're really close to in terms of their art and their artwork. For me, it was Woody Allen that I still struggle with and constantly have arguments with my daughters around because I really want them to enjoy and see his work. And I, I'm not willing to give up some of those movies because they're so meaningful for me. But there's no doubt there's some very disappointing <laughs> stuff going on there. But again, it's very difficult because he's one of those people for whom it's not cut and dried, did all these things really happen, blah, blah, blah. But it's still a really tough one. Mm. Paul, what do you, is there anyone that springs to mind for you? Well, definitely Woody Allen, mm. yeah, as well. I'm a huge Woody Allen fan and I still watch a lot of the films and, and still love them. And But if you're talking about film directors, you could talk about Polanski as well. Are you allowed to watch the films up to a certain point and then no further? How much does what they've done influence the work before they were accused or before whatever it is that has happened happens? So probably Polanski, definitely Woody Allen. I love Woody Allen. I mean, Annie Hall is probably one of my top ten favourite films. And I still have to watch them. Someone like Woody Allen is a collaborative artist. I mean, I know he's writer-director. It really is his work. But the main reason that Annie Hall works so well is because of Diane Keaton. So you kind of think there's something really sad about the fact that you're not getting those performances. And and especially with Woody Allen, because he works with a company of actors, doesn't he? You see a lot of the same actors appear in a lot of his films. And a lot of the same DOPs and assistant directors and that sort of thing as well. What happens to their careers when somebody is cancelled? What happens to repeat fees for actors? If you take a band, say, like The Lost Prophets, where Ian Watkins was convicted of horrible crimes, what happens to the rest of the band who aren't involved in that? What happens to their ongoing financial concerns and worries? Mm, it's a tricky one. So what's, who's been disappointing for you to find out they're not who you thought they were? I don't know. I mean, for me, it's probably really Michael Jackson. Roger Waters, somebody told me recently, and I kind of went, his politics have gone into a very strange place. And again, Pink Floyd, dare I say, for a moment in my life, was a band I listened to a lot. But I think genuinely the one that comes up is Michael Jackson on the radio. I just hear his songs more and more at the moment. Mm. And what I find happening is going, that's a great tune, brings back so many memories, places me in so many different places. But I'm also thinking, I know now the accusations attached to his story. So that song brings up all that wealth of stuff. I'm enjoying the song, but at the same time, I'm kind of going, hmm, can I? <laughs> can I as much? 
Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? When do we give ourselves permission? This is the same thing that a lot of people are going through with Morrissey, isn't it? Yeah. But I think there's a successful separation between Morrissey and the Smiths so that the Smiths are unproblematic. Morrissey's solo work is proving very difficult for a lot of people I know very well who are really struggling with that. Mary, is there anyone for you? There might not be. You might be absolutely gleefully not (laughs) having anyone letting you down. Johnny Depp. It's really difficult with people like Johnny Depp because things get thrown out of court and then you're like, I've gone along with this whole narrative and how much of that is true. And you grow to love the characters that these actors play. And it's very hard to separate that from the actual person who, of course, you'll never know unless you work with them directly. Michael Jackson, similar thing. Grew up with that music, full of those memories. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because there's a question about, is it better? Should we bring back a sort of form of the Hayes Code? Mm -hmm. The old school Hollywood idea where actually performers for the the Hollywood studios were so managed, their private lives so hidden, that nothing was ever going to come out. So there was never this kind of question. We talked a lot when we were making the show, didn't we, about Picasso? And we were saying that even though Francois Gillot had published her book, it's come back now because of Hannah Gadsby's uh, conversation about him in Nanette and then her exhibition, It's Pablomatic, at the uh, Brooklyn Museum, which is just great. But I have to admit, I knew about Francois Gillot's book, but I, I wasn't as aware of Picasso's misogyny. Paul, were you before? Yeah, I think I was. We quote it in the, in the uh, play that two of his lovers committed suicide. Now, one of them committed suicide after he died. She obviously felt something for him. I'm not defending him, I'm not defending misogyny at all, but it's it's always hard to view a relationship from the outside. I think you never know really what is going on. But coming back to what you were saying earlier, when we do talk about people who are problematic, who decides who is problematic? Do we then bring in a Lord Chancellor, who will probably be a Oxbridge white male, who then decides what is okay for the rest of us to to listen to, to view. And then that has hugely fundamental problems about who decides, how you decide, what the parameters are. That just makes everybody's life far worse than actually making individual decisions on your own. Yeah. Are we happy to be managed in such a way in terms of what's right or what's wrong? But the flip side of that that worries me a little bit is we have to be able to like the work of an artist but also acknowledge and talk about their problematic status. But is there a moment, do we think, where actually you honestly cannot do that? Is there anyone saw for you that you could not possibly engage with now as an artist? God, it's so difficult. (laughs) If I'm honest. So, for example, I have a friend who has a Rolf Harris painting and it's beautiful. It's a really great painting and they bought it as an investment because they thought, wow, we don't collect art, but this is fantastic and it's by an artist that people know. And then it all came out about his past and the imprisonment and stuff and she's like, well, what do we do with it now? Do we keep it on display and have it as a, a talking point for this very reason? Say, should we take it down? We have kids. I don't want the association with his behaviour. Or do we keep it in view because it's a painting and it's something that we like and it serves as a talking point? It's incredibly difficult. You talk about Hollywood of the 1930s and think it's just built on salacious gossip. That what kept it going and for our generation was like, wow. And if people behaved generally as we think they did back then, half of them would be 
cancelled or films would never be looked at again. So I'm sure I'll never answer this question <laughs> adequately. Something we uh, have been talking about around the play is, is the red line that we draw and how, for me, as, as a woman now, um, my perspective on what's okay in terms of behaviour is very different to how I might have perceived it in my 20s. And your daughter, who's in her 20s, there are things that she would see as completely unacceptable. Mm. So I so I have to mention Jimmy Savile. I remember watching that as a kid, thinking nothing other than this is quite a magical experience. Um, now look back on it, all right, it, there's all the context set, but very, very creepy individual. How How did I not see that? Uh, <laughs> would, would a young person coming across some of the Jimmy Savile footage now, not knowing his story, how would they perceive it? That is something that slightly annoys me, people saying, oh, it was so obvious. And, well, of course it wasn't, you know. And then I think you're doing a disservice to people who are around that individual and then suddenly you get them dragged into the blame game around not being whistleblowers. And then we start blaming them, we start talking about them, which is, again, what indestructible talks about quite a bit and the the perpetrator somehow is less brought to account in a strange way the people around that person don't really ever get the day in court in the same way even if that person is convicted or if they get off the stigma still seems to remain around the people who are around that individual paul you, you we were talking about eric gill as well mm. He's the guy who created the statue on the front of the BBC that was defaced a couple of times yes. recently because it is of... Is it of his daughter? Is his daughter the I model of it? I think and his daughter was the model of it, yeah. It's a naked, clearly a child. Yes, yeah. It's, it's interesting because other institutions which have a similar problem, because recently I went to a, a National Trust property. This property had been built on sugar, and so therefore it was built on the slave trade. And they made a, a very good exhibition about it, about where the money came from, the issues that this raises. And I thought, well done. You could have just pretended it didn't exist. Mm. Or you could have gone, right, we need to close all these buildings down now because they're implicated in the slave trade. But that doesn't help anybody because then we don't have an issue to talk about. We try and take parts of history out and then you, people look at it and go, well, what happened here? Well, nothing happened here, it's fine. We just go over that. And you're educating people coming in who might just go out for, you know, oh, let's go and have a look at a nice stately home. Well, it is a nice building, but it is built on profit from slavery and from people's misery. And being aware of that is helpful. Uh, similarly, getting rid of it isn't helpful either. So no. we should have a conversation rather than just scrap everything. Yeah. No, Mary, what? Well, possibly going off topic, but thinking about Roald Dahl and the fact that I believe Puffin have hired sensitivity writers to rewrite passages and edit out words like fat and ugly. And I remember reading them as a child. I remember reading them to my goddaughter and not really thinking that much about it. And now I'm reading them to my children and the language does feel really offensive. But are we just doing too much curation? It's really challenging. It is difficult. I think what makes me uncomfortable about that is is you're actually physically tampering with another artist's work, aren't you? You, you are actually changing the language of a writer. The Indestructible podcast was produced for Proteus Theatre by the brilliant team at Creative Kin. 
Getting the right people behind your podcast is so important and Creative Kin were a great choice to make our show. If you're an ambitious brand keen to expand your reach, go to creativekin.co.uk forward slash launch to find out how you can reach a new audience. It's difficult, isn't it? Because again, Eni Blyton, there's a mm. lot of dodgy stuff in <laughs> a lot of those books. Phrases we wouldn't use, words we wouldn't use. And what we talk about a lot in the show is around the effect of context. So being able to understand the context of something suddenly creates an understanding of it that means that you're not taking it at face value. So the big moment in the show where we use that is around the photograph of Lee Miller sat in Hitler's bath. And I have often wondered what would happen, what would be the reaction if that picture emerged now and it, we talked about Zelensky and Putin's bath or something, which is nightmarish. But how would people take that, that idea of someone actually really facing you with the banality of evil in a way that is not obvious, is not obviously condemning or... It's an odd one, isn't it? I'm not sure people would get that image now. Again, it's so much to do with context, isn't it, with that photograph in particular. One is a brilliant photograph, but you need to know the details, don't you? You need to know the context. You can look at it and go, wow, that's powerful. On the day of Hitler's death, she's bathing in his bathtub as a message of defiance. But when you look at all the individual elements of the photograph, you can miss that unless you know that story and you know the deeper connections of all the objects in it, then that makes you suddenly go, wow, just how powerful and how well thought through and how brilliant that narrative is in one single shot. Where do we sit? Where do you sit and how do you make those decisions? And, and what kind of context do you need to know to be able to understand it, be educated around it and make your own decisions about it? Will I read Enoch Blyton to my, my kids? That's a personal choice. And kind of say, I don't feel it's relevant. No. There are better authors out there who I think, for me, would make more of an impact in their lives. But other people might go, no, I've got no problem with this. Mm, yeah. Roald Dahl, I have different problems with. His politics were <laughs> very anti-my tribe. And so other people kind of go, well, that's not really a problem because we're looking at his stories. And you kind of go, yeah, he's a great writer. He's a great storyteller. And as a result, kids love his stuff. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> Paul, you and I made a show about Lord Byron. Yes. Who was a very, very naughty boy. He was, yes. <laughs> I loved playing him. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much in that and in his life that, I mean, we had conversations about how much do we tell in a polite show. Yes, exactly. I don't think any of his foibles in his life come through in his work, really, reading his work. He obviously got around through ladies and gentlemen and indeed his sister. You could, for those reasons, cancel his work, but it doesn't appear in the work or it doesn't seem to appear in the work. And a lot of his poetry is, especially She Walks in Beauty Like the Night, it's a beautiful poem about the beauty of a woman he meets at a dance. Um, and it was, as we said in the play, just tossed off on one night, so to speak. But yes, he is hugely problematic for those issues, but... I think genius's work makes him greater than his problems and I think you can enjoy the work without taking on the problems but if you do take on the problems then it's your decision whether to enjoy the work or not. And I think that's the same with a lot of artists because we will be gradually finding out more and more things about artists we know. So there might be an artist you love now, you know, 20 years down the line, you might find out an awful person, you know, 
I mean, the sort of the conclusion to a certain extent we come to in the show that there is a, a sliding scale of how much people are cancelled in their private life but the work is it's still acceptable depending on the level of genius there's an equation isn't there of like this level of genius equals this much bad behavior that we still hang your pictures in the gallery because as consistently as pointed out if we removed any problematic artists visual artists from galleries we'd have precious little partly because they don't hang female artists work might be the other thing but I do think also you know it's interesting how so much of this is around people also who are safely dead I think there's also something around the PR machine if you think about modern celebrities and no publicity is bad publicity. And again, where do you draw the line? Because there would be a lot of building that brand. Their behaviour is notorious and they're anarchic and that can make someone really exciting. And then where does that tip over into being too much or condemnable behaviour? I think, you know, again, it goes back to who sets the level there. Yeah, as you say, it's a completely changing landscape. And again, it's something we talk a little bit about in the show around levels of behaviour. And it's kind of that interesting, do we lose something? Are we becoming quite Victorian? Mm. And actually, you know, Byron would definitely have been that person that would have been just at some point, somebody would have said, this is too much. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And I I think he realised that was probably happening, Mm. that he'd overstepped the mark. And that's why he fled England. But, yeah, I mean, there is also the danger that culture becomes magnolia Mm. and anybody's scared of doing anything slightly alternative or different in case they do get judged or perceived as a problem, an issue. Perhaps you would get those people who will go out there on a limb, go out and be different, because then that then makes them different from the rest of the people who try to conform to whatever the society is that we're trying to make. Okay, so look, we can talk about this all night and (laughs) probably shouldn't. But I'm asking everyone who comes on this podcast to bring with them, as it were, a female artist that they feel more people should be aware of. I, I hesitate to say unknown because people will know some of these people and they'll go, of course I know that person. But someone that you feel doesn't get the exposure they deserve. So, Paul, can I start with you? Who is your want-to-be-better-known female artist? My one is Gerda Taro. She was a female war photographer. And, spoiler alert, she died in the um, Spanish Civil War. But it was her and Robert Capa's relationship together. So Robert Capa, that wasn't his real name. He was a, a Jewish gentleman. And he and Gerda Taro together decided that their photographs would sell better if they had a more white middle-class name. So they created this character called Robert Kappa, and they both used the same name. So some of Robert Kappa's photographs were probably taken by Gerda Taro, and they both influenced each other. Unfortunately, she died in the, in the Spanish Civil War, and Robert Kappa went on to, obviously, the Second World War and the Korean War. and that. So he carried the name forward, and I guess he's more well-known, A, by being a male photographer and also by being the survivor, you know. They both taught each other um, film and they both taught each other how to take photographs, but uh, they both use different cameras. So um, you can quite often tell what is a Gerda Taro photograph under Robert Kappa's name and what is a Robert Kappa photo because the formats are different. So, yeah, I, I happened to find her one day when we were looking through Lee Miller, I was looking at other female war photographers, and she popped up and I thought, well, I'd never heard of her. So, yeah, so Gerda Taro is my takeaway for this show. 
Oh, brilliant. Saul, who would you like to bring to the table? The one that I reminded myself about and had really forgotten about her is Artemisia Gentileschi, who was a female painter during the Renaissance. And I just had a thing for a while about Caravaggio. There was something about him as a character that she, when you see her work, I thought, first time I saw there's a the painting called Judith Beheading Holofernes, the mm. Syrian general. I thought it was Caravaggio to begin with. And I looked and then looked into her work. And it's extraordinary. The strength that you feel when she's holding the sword to cut off his head. You can see the muscles, the tautness of the dynamism in this painting is amazing. She was born in Rome, she moved to Florence. She became the first woman to be a member of the Academy of Arts of Drawing in 1616. And just the achievements that she had, not just as a painter, but as a, as a person in life, ploughing her own path, but also leaving this legacy of extraordinary paintings, made me realise I had to delve in to find out more about her than the story of Caravaggio, which was more readily available. So she's my choice, Artemisia Gentileschi. It's amazing, isn't it? Because you people so often feel because female artists of that period, there weren't any or they were painting flowers. But it's it's extraordinary, isn't it? Because that painting is incredible. And you're like, why is there not more of her work in museums? Why are there not more of the work of female artists at that point? And I, I, I don't know what the excuse is. My third choice would have been Afra Ben. I know of her through a friend of mine who's a professor of drama, and she wrote a thesis about Afra Ben, so I know through her about her work. But again, I still haven't seen it. I haven't seen it staged. And she was just shortly a generation after Shakespeare. Yeah first woman to be make her living as a, as a writer mm. so there's no sort of excuse the work is there but mm. what what is the reason for not exhibiting yeah. we, we and again there's not the subject matter that going to in the play that's it for this edition of indestructible my name's mary swan i'd like to thank all my guests mary rose saul jaffe paul huntley thomas um if you like what you've heard please leave us a five-star review share it on social media tell your friends Thanks for coming with us on this journey. You can listen to this podcast anytime, anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>